Hello and welcome to All We Hear is Purple. We're the third or fourth most mediocre Husky football podcast on the entire internet. I'm Andrew Burr. Today we're here to talk about National Signing Day, letters of intent, things of that nature. I'm joined today from 7,500 miles and 11 time zones away. Coach B, Coach, how's it going? Oh, it's uh, nice and warm over here. A little bit warmer than Seattle and Luxembourg right now. Um, It's about uh, 80 80 degrees. (laughs) Back in Hawaii today, uh, which is admirable and desirable, especially compared to what I've heard it's like in Seattle right now. So congratulations to you. But let's talk a little bit about some of the recruits uh, the Huskies signed. This week, it was a very exciting signing day. It seemed like the Huskies really closed with a lot of positive momentum in the recruiting class. They've done well in the transfer market as well. Let's talk a little bit first about um, the offense. The headliners, a lot of them are receivers. Rasheed Williams, one of the highest ranked players in the class, the receiver out of California. Tayshawn Lyons, I think we're still waiting for the uh, letter of intent to come through for him, but he's the highest rated recruit in the class, or at least he was at the time he committed. Also brought back Jeremy Bernard, the recruit from uh, Las Vegas, spent registered at UW, transferred out when Junior Adams left, went to Michigan State for a year and is now back. And uh, tight end FCS All-American Josh Cuevas, uh, who was a freshman last year, uh, both his transfers. This is going to be a really crowded receiver room if Jalen McMillan and Romo Dunze come back. Uh, how do you think that shakes out for playing time, but also – do you think this has a chance to be an even better passing offense next year than what we've seen this year? Yeah, I'm, I'm very bullish on our passing attack next year. Um, you know, it, even if some of the new additions uh, don't make an immediate impact and things like that, just, you know, bringing back two NFL uh, caliber wide receivers, you know, if Jalen and Rome come back, uh, and then a second year having that full offseason, a uh, full second offseason with uh, Michael Penix back there. And then everybody's kind of in the system. Now it's more the fine tuning that those little details that can really advance uh, an offense. So, you know, even if, you know, folks like Rashid Williams or um, uh, Tayshawn Lyons or any number of our transfers don't really, uh, make an immediate impact, I, I, I think it'll be all right. Um, as, as you kind of see in the NFL sometimes, it, it's the depth of talent. Uh, and very prevalent in college as well, where, you know, you have your top two guys. Um, you know, most teams have one or two really good receivers or receiving threats. It's once you start filling out, you know, the, the number three through five at the skill positions, as pass catchers or offensive weapons that you really kind of uh, it's exponential advancement in your overall offense. So even though we have really solid uh, options uh, at those other positions, you know, Jalen Hulk or Giles Jackson or um, uh, any number right. of our, our running backs or, you know, Todd Davis, exactly. Um, or, or our tight ends, right. Uh, it's, it's never a bad thing to add more talent. I think, Josh Cuevas um, uh, has the potential of raising the ceiling of our, our tight end room. If he can make a, and he might s- slowly ease himself into the rotation, um, but I, I think that he has a lot of upside there at tight end as a receiving threat. Um, I think that somebody like Jeremy Bernard, who made an impact early 
as a true freshman at Michigan State this year. I think he has an opportunity to step up. Um, it, 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 there's, there's just based on the volume of how much we, we pass the ball, I think there's going to be opportunities all around for, for folks to get um, into the action. Yeah, I, I think that's a good point about the depth that we stayed healthy in the receiver room this year and still used four, five, six guys at times and had you know, 100 yard receivers kind of coming out of the woodwork in different games. There's another position where we're seeing a lot more depth uh, in the recruiting class, and that's along the offensive line. There are five new offensive line commits. I think we're slated to lose uh, three uh, graduating, moving on players, but replacing them with five new true freshmen headlined by Elisha Jacket on the outside, Landon Hatchett on the inside. I'm curious, given you know this new staff, even though Scott Hoff remains the offensive line coach, it's a new offense, it's a new system. Is this kind of their opportunity to put their stamp on the offensive line? And if so, is that even desirable given how well they played this year? Like, do we want to bring in a whole wave of different types of offensive linemen? Yeah, that's, that's a really good point as far as even though there's the consistency of having Scott Huff still on the, on the staff, um, but kind of, I think it all ended up working out for us and um, kind of, I don't see a huge shift in, in kind of the style, right? Where, um, look at the guys that played, right? Troy, Saltanu, uh, Roger Rosengarten outside um, at the bookend tackle spots, right? Both of them very athletic, very agile, not necessarily prototypical size. Um, well, they're, they're definitely within that size range. They're not necessarily you know, the types of NFL-sized offensive tackles that we've had in the past, right, where uh, guys like Caleb McGarry or um, uh, Adams, Trey Adams, right, yeah, where you've got the six-foot-seven, six-foot-eight guys that might not have been quite as uh, agile as the guys that we have playing right now. Um, but I, I do see a little bit of a trend there where, you know, one of my favorite um, recruits in the class as a whole is uh, Elisha Jackett, right? Um, where he does have that kind of prototypical size. He's listed at 6'7", 280. You know, that's perfect to kind of get him into maybe like a 300 to 310, 315 range. He, he, he's very lean right now. He's a great athlete. He's almost, a, I, when I did my recruiting breakdown a while back of him, um, very much looks like a basketball type of agility and athleticism there um, rather than more of the Adams and McGarry mold of kind of big, long, but more power-based, strength-based. Um, I, I think that he's, he brings the type of size and length that we used to have um, or, or that we were recruiting more under the previous staff, but he brings the same level of athleticism that has been working for us thus far under DeBoer and Grubb and, and Huff. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I, I'm actually encouraged that it's not a complete directional shift, but I do think it's probably pretty likely we'll see some additional movement along the offensive line just based on the numbers uh, and, and the total number of scholarship players we have across the roster. It seems like that's a place at this point where there may be a couple of extra guys. 
Uh, one other place where you know, we didn't see a commitment was at quarterback uh, for the second year in a row, actually. Um, we, you know, were expecting for a long time, Lincoln Kineholtz from South Dakota would be that guy. He decommitted about a week ago and shifted to Ohio State. It, we're still, we have the same quarterback room we had last year between uh, Penix, Heward, and Morris. Uh, we don't know if that's going to all stick together for another year, but I, what do you, do you have any concern about not getting a quarterback in this class, or do you think that's something we'll pursue in the transfer market? I, I, well, Kalen DeBoer today in his press conference said he's comfortable with three. He would much rather have four scholarship quarterbacks um, on the roster heading into next season. Um, I kind of match that sentiment because you never know what can happen, right? We were really fortunate where everything kind of broke our way for the most part on offense as far as injuries went this past season. Um, but we saw last year, right, like uh, uh, a deeper – uh, position such as wide receiver last year, we got decimated, and and it doesn't take a whole lot of a whole lot. It's just one play, and then all of a sudden you're you're in a pinch for for bodies. And we saw that this year with DBs, right? So you always want to be building depth, especially where last year we didn't bring in um, a scholarship quarterback uh, from high school. You know, if we if we have back to back classes, it's very similar to uh, the lines right, offensive and defensive line, you always want to be building depth because you just never know who's going to pan out. You know, somebody might transfer out. You just never know, right? And so I'm, I'm almost certain that we'll find somebody in the transfer portal. Um, there, there was an interesting uh, comment from Grubb, I believe it was, today on um, KJR in his interview after signing day, where he did mention that there was a lot of interest from the transfer portal, people reaching out, uh, quarterbacks reaching out, um, looking at UW, even with Michael Penix returning this year. So um, they said that they would be very selective in who they would um, pursue as a transfer quarterback. They said that they uh, their approach to roster management and roster construction would be, you know, people that they're bringing in they want to make sure that they're not just thinking about depth. They're thinking about a um, somebody that can contribute and be developed and raise the ceiling of the program as a whole, which I, I think um, is, is the right way to approach it. We had a little bit of a conversation in our writers chat um, last week, I believe, where, uh, you know, sometimes, you know, um, in the past we've pursued uh, quarterbacks. I don't remember the, their names off the top of my head. There was one from Colorado State, I believe, and another one from Sac State. This was a couple of years ago where, you know, Kevin Thompson I, and Patrick O'Brien, yes, I think. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Those, those two where I think at the time we weren't super sure what to make of it. And then we kind of explained it away as, okay, these guys, you know, are seasoned vets. Maybe they don't have a ton of starting experience, but they're willing to come in and be a backup with maybe an outside chance of winning the job. If we took a similar approach this year, just in my opinion, I don't know if that's the right way to go. I think I'd rather go after a, a maybe very raw but talented high school prospect or transfer or something like that who knows that they need time to develop but, and, and might not be a perfect, uh, might not be a perfect fit for that backup role who can get you through games 
but have that upside because guys that are transferring in and understand that they're going to be the backup likely aren't actually backup caliber. And that's a tough one. Yeah. You always want your backup to be, you know, pretty good, right? So that's my take on it, but I'm not sure. What what, what do you think about the quarterback situation? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I'm still, there's a little bit of anxiety about whether all three of the guys we have actually come back because once you go through spring practice, you know, once the backup situation shakes out, are both Dylan Morris and Sam Heward going to be willing to stay on the bench if one of them, one of them necessarily will be the third stringer for another year. Uh, so there's some anxiety around that. And then if you lose one of them without having an extra guy, then it's really bare bones. And we're looking at, you know, do we have a punter who played quarterback in high school or something? Um, or any I, number I, of our walk-ons, right? So, yeah, mean, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, obviously that's more likely than the punter scenario, but either way, it's going to be pretty rough. Uh, but I, I do think it'd be nice. Uh, I, I do prefer the idea of having somebody who you can develop because I think our coaching staff is very good with quarterbacks and they can teach them a system and get the most out of them over a couple of years. I think the immediate results we saw out of Penix are both abnormal and, you, you know, you, you get the benefit of him having experience with this system in the past. So I don't think you would expect that from somebody else coming in anyway. But I think longer term, it would be nice to have somebody who can spend multiple years developing within the system. And I don't know who's going to start the year after next, but if you can find somebody who's, you know, a freshman transfer, who's willing to, to sit and develop for a while, I think that would be kind of ideal, uh, especially since we didn't take anybody in last class either. Taking somebody who's a freshman uh, transfer right now would kind of make up for that. And then you just are one class down instead of two. Exactly. So let's talk about the defense a little bit. It was, you know, there's not one position that jumps out so much more than the others. It's really balanced kind of across the whole defense. A few highlights in the, the secondary, there's uh, Curly Reed, Holmes, Caleb Presley committed uh, at the last minute last night. Uh, he's, or I guess in the afternoon, he, uh, those, all three of those are, are four-star recruits, uh, kind of the highlights of the defensive recruiting class. Uh, Devin Bryant, Jordan Whitney at linebacker seem like really solid developmental players who, who will fit into our system and give us more depth uh, at a position that was pretty thin. Along the defensive line, there's uh, Anthony James, Alinius Davis, Jacob Lane, a good blend of size and uh, edge rush and versatility. Is there anything in particular? There are other guys, too, I didn't mention, but those are kind of like if you look across the positions, the ones who stand out. But what is it that um, you – what are your takeaways about this defensive recruiting class? Uh, my first impression of this class as a whole on the defensive side is kind of opposite of what we talked about for the offensive line is the defensive back group. I think we have like six defensive backs, either transfers or, um, or high school assignees. And that's a lot for the defensive back position. Um, that I think that's really that one position where we're saying, hey, we're going to flip this. We're going to get as much talent as possible. And we are going to give all of these guys opportunities, right? I, I don't know what the sales pitch was or the recruiting pitch was to these guys, but I would imagine that the staff kind of showed them where we're at, where there's a lot of room for opportunity and uh, a, a lot of room for improvement and opportunity within the room to get early playing time. 
and we got a lot of very talented guys. Caleb Presley obviously is kind of the, the news headline guy, right? As that big flip from Oregon, local guy, very talented, top 200 caliber player. But actually one of my favorite defensive back recruits is uh, Vincent Holmes. I think he is going to be a uh, Swiss Army knife on, on the back end of the defense. I think that he has huge upside as a safety. I think that he also is versatile enough where maybe we try him at the Husky, you know, maybe we see a little bit of a shift in, in the body type or the type of athlete that we see at that position. Um, Dom Hampton, very talented in his own right, but I don't know if that, you know, six foot plus 220 pound plus type of athlete that kind of borderline linebacker size is, is really the best fit for him or for that position, because how we kind of ended up playing that position this year was less of a, a movable chess piece and more of more of a slot corner type of uh, role that we kind of saw under Jimmy Lake and, and Coach K um, back in the previous uh, regime. So I, I think that we might see a slow transition um, this year at that spot where we could get him in there and and he's a dynamic athlete. He has a real good feel for, for man coverage, uh, deep coverage, underneath coverage. I think that he could be that kind of linchpin in that whole secondary that allows other people to move around and, and find themselves in the best uh, spot for success. Yeah, it's great to have guys like that who could play more than one position and, and because it means that you're not going to have like one position that's just an utter disaster that the offense can pick on. If you have one guy who can be pretty good at kind of any spot in the secondary, it, it gives you that security blanket across the board, which is super useful. Is there anybody else from this defensive class just that, you know, or even on the offensive side of the ball, um, when we look back two or three, maybe even five years from now, somebody who we look back and say like they really outperformed their recruiting rating, you know, like one of those three-star guys who makes all conference or something like that. If you're picking one guy from this class, who would that be? Uh, that, that's based on how you frame the question of somebody who outplays their recruiting ranking. I think that might be Landon Hatchet. I think, okay. um, and, and I did a breakdown of his junior tape, um, I think this past summer, and I absolutely love his style of play, his kind of how he fits within the offense. So I think as everybody kind of that follows recruiting will kind of know is that the recruiting rankings are geared towards um, NFL potential, right? And the NFL draft doesn't always value centers. Right. Usually it's like, okay, you know, maybe it was a athletic tackle that's a little short that, you know, maybe we can teach him how to snap and then plug and play there. The, the draft and then kind of trickle down effect to the high school recruiting rankings, you know, kind of put him at, uh, I'm looking at it now, he's uh, nationally uh, ranked overall at 702, which I think really devalues what he can actually do for this team. You know, he's a natural center, which um, can come across sometimes as a slight, but I think that he, he is excellent at that spot. He knows how to snap. He knows how to snap under center, shotgun. Um, he is an athlete for that spot. He can 
snap and pull, which is really, really challenging to be consistent at doing both of those things. He is a mauler. He can, he can move really well. He doesn't have a ton of pass protection experience based on the type of option offense that he was in in high school. But I don't think that that will necessarily be a, uh, a detriment to him. Sometimes it is good when you have a guy with as much uh, raw potential as he does. He can come in, he can work with um, Coach Huff, and kind of, it's a clean slate. He doesn't have uh, necessarily ingrained um, bad tendencies and bad technique that will have to be coached out of him. He can go in there, learn the right way, and be that it's very similar to kind of comparison that I gave or the description I gave for uh, Holmes is he can be the linchpin within the offensive line group. Um, I think that his highest upside obviously is his, is his great fit at center, but I think the types of pulling skills and uh, run game skills and natural power, um, he can fit anywhere on the interior and, and be successful. Um, but, you know, like I said, huge potential at center. I think you can have kind of a, a Nick Harris type of, uh, you know, overstated impact relative to his, his recruiting ranking. Yeah, that's, that's very exciting. I mean, that's somebody who you give multiple years of production out of and bring stability to a position long-term. And that's kind of the best thing you could hope for. We're going to take a little break. We're going to come back and talk about some other uh, Pac-12 recruiting trends and themes and news as well as just a little bit about the Alamo Bowl. So stay with us. Thanks for sticking around. We're going to talk about the rest of the Pac-12 and how things landed with recruiting. We alluded earlier to Caleb Presley flipping at the last minute from Oregon to UW, but Oregon's probably not going to lose a ton of sleep over it given the, the class they've put together. They added two uh, five-star defenders on the last day of the early signing period, uh, Mateo Uagalele and Peyton Bowen, defensive back. They flipped the four-star quarterback, commit from Baylor, uh, who apparently had built a relationship with their new offensive coordinator when he was at UT San Antonio. Overall, it's a top 10 class. It's kind of terrifying to look at the amount of talent they're bringing in. I guess the question after this year is uh, whether Dan Lanning and the rest of the coaching staff can make the most out of this talent. Do you think that based on what you've seen so far, is this just Oregon loading up? Do you think they're going to be kind of pulling away from the rest of the conference in terms of talent over the next few years? That's, that's a tough one because I, you know, we, we all had a deep-seated dislike of uh, Mario Cristobal, who in his own right was very good at building a roster with very talented uh, high school recruiting classes. Um, so I, don't, I think that on paper, right, the level of talent that they're bringing in is uh, very comparable. But what I'm interested to see is how this talent kind of fits within the system that Dan Lanning and his uh, staff are trying to kind of implement where uh, I, I, Oregon did really well this year, all things considered for a first year staff, maybe underwhelmed down the stretch, uh, fortunately against us and Oregon State. But I think what, what I saw just, you know, taking off the purple, lenses and kind of, you know, purple glasses and taking it up more objectively is 
They had a lot of talent, but not the types of talent that fit within that kind of Georgia scheme that Dan Lanning was trying to implement in Eugene. And that scheme uh, kind of predicates a lot of, or, or puts a lot of emphasis on versatility at the second uh, level of the defense at linebacker. Um, very athletic, um, but not the same types of talent that they had there, right? So you have guys like uh, Sewell at linebacker who really good, he's a really good linebacker for pass rushing and run stuffing, but not a cover guy. Whereas you have uh, other guys like Roquan Smith back at Georgia uh, a couple of years ago where he was flying sideline to sideline. He was running, tackling, filling gaps, um, but he could also cover, right? Kind of more in the Ben Burkirvin kind of mold than, say, um, kind of Eddie Ulofoshio on our team now, where he is also good at pass rush. He's good at run stuffing, but not known as being a great cover guy. Um, so kind of, you know, I know that a lot of Husky Twitter has been kind of poking fun at, oh, just look at how much talent is leaving the program through the transfer portal down there. Um, but they are bringing in similar types of talent. And, and um, I guess my worry for our prospects against them would be, okay, so they're replacing lots of talent with similar talent, but maybe this talent fits better and, and the puzzle pieces come together and they take that next step. So, you know, I, I don't see them stockpiling so much talent to like kind of put themselves way out ahead of the rest of the content. But I think their overall fit and performance will, uh, it, it will be on the rise moving forward if kind of they all fit into the vision of Dan Manning. Yeah, I think that's an interesting question. And I think it is still a question because part of the story or part of the, the narrative that people who don't like Oregon have um, allowed themselves to believe, including myself at times, uh, is that Lanning was a defensive coordinator who didn't call plays, that this was Kirby Smart's defense at Georgia, and he was, um, you know, potentially, we don't know, may, he may have been along for the ride, and we would not get evidence that he could run his own elite defense until he had a chance to do it with where he was fully in charge. And then he did that last year, and it didn't go very well. And the point you make is completely fair. The type of great of a, of a tactician you are, because it's just not you can't you can put the chess pieces wherever you want, but if they can't move the way you need it to, it's not going to be very successful. So it just remains a question of: Is Dan Lanning a defensive genius, or was he in the right place at the right time? And we don't have evidence yet to prove one way or the other, but he certainly is stockpiling the right sort of talent where we should get an answer to that over the next couple of years. Um, and then offensively, you know, maybe as Husky fans, we can take some solace in the fact that um, Kenny Dillingham isn't there anymore. And the we'll see how successful they are offensively, but it's hard for me to imagine that they upgraded on their offensive coordinator position or some of the talent they had offensively last year. But let's talk about a couple of the other teams in the conference. Um, it, worth mentioning, that we knew that Lincoln Riley was going to put together a really good class at USC. They ended up rated 11th in the country. They're outstanding. Um, that's not a surprise. A little bit more surprising was Utah coming in at 21st, third in the conference, seven blue chip players. That's a bigger surprise to me 
uh, you know, Utah historically has been a very, very successful team in spite of not having top 25 recruiting classes. If they're able to start stockpiling talent in this way, are they kind of have a chance to become a true um, West Coast powerhouse as the L.A. schools leave the Pac-12 and we kind of look for a chance to fill in that gap as like some of the true national powerhouses in the conference? Yeah, that's, that's something that I ask myself as well, kind of looking at, at how they did this, this class in recruiting. Um, you know, I, I think that it, for them, it's a slow progression up. You know, they've come up from, uh, I think it was the old Black or Mountain West or whatever, into the Pac-12, and they, they slowly kind of developed that overall philosophy and infrastructure to make that rise to the recruiting rankings over time. And I think they're doing it the right way. And and kind of how we've seen it over the last couple of years where the guys that they are bringing in that um, kind of have that higher level of talent on paper at least um, have delivered pretty well. Um, same as like other talent acquisitions, like a transfer such as Cam Rising. He was a blue chipper out of high school, came in um, as a transfer to Utah and has done well, where um, kind of the, the one worry sometimes is when programs take a sudden leap up the rankings um some of the guys that they get might be fools gold a little bit right where you know maybe their original philosophy was okay identify the best fits with good potential develop them and then they'll be real high-end impact starters maybe in the third or fourth year um I, i think we saw a little bit of that in um that kind of peak Uh, Chris Peterson recruiting years, uh, kind of around that 2018-19 kind of range there where um, we we ended up having a lot of guys that didn't quite pan out and transferred out to UW. Um, So even though that on paper we're bringing in a lot of talent um, and kind of upgrading the guys coming in and, you know, in theory that would feed into a really strong development uh, developmental staff and all of that it just never really came to fruition so um you know i think that utah's progressive rise is, is a little bit um in their favor where they're still being a little bit selective they're doing their due diligence and getting the right guys but um time will tell yeah i think that's well said and all, a ton of credit to kyle whittingham for not having a ton of natural advantages at that school, but building it very deliberately and, and earning it. Like I asked the question initially, I almost felt bad saying, can Utah become a stable national power on the West coast? Because in some ways they've already done that. They're an awesome program. Uh, it's just a question of whether, you know, where they go, what their ceiling is, if they're able to not only match, uh, not only, you know, match some of the national powerhouses on the field, but do it uh, in recruiting as well. And are they able to get that same level of improvement with players who start at a higher level and really take them to, you know, contention for CFPs and and winning the conference every year and so on. Um, So let's, let's talk a little bit before we run out of time about the Alamo bowl. Uh, A couple of weeks ago, Gabby and I gave a very early preview of the game. Since then, we've learned that Bijan Robinson and Roshan Johnson, the two running backs and two of the very best players on Texas's roster, are both going to sit out the bowl game. Their offense, as we know, uh, Sark offense with a young quarterback likes to run a lot and really, really good at it. 
Uh, I'm just curious from your point of view, if, if Robinson and Johnson sitting out gives UW a, you know, better than 50-50 chance of winning this game. And what are some of overall some of the things you're going to be watching for in this matchup? Yeah, I think that it'll still be um, pretty close to 50-50. I, I, I think I'd give the edge to UW just because we're not going to have quite as much um, of an impact to our, you know, season long starters and, and lineups and things like that, that uh, Texas will have to um, kind of manage. Um, and, and even though they are losing that dynamic uh, one-two combo uh, in the backfield, um, that might almost play into their favor where our run defense was, you know, actually pretty decent this year. And it was our pass uh, defense that was kind of uh, a little bit more of a question mark where now, okay, they can't lean on the run game. They might be forced to pass more. They might actually get something there, right? They, they have very talented skill position players there. Um, the receivers and tight ends are very dynamic athletes where, um, you know, I think there's a matchup advantage there that they can take advantage of. Um, but I think that, that uh, really big picture for us is, or, or the kind of key matchup overall will be still our offensive line um, being able to deal with Coach K's pressure packages. Uh, the, the defense that he runs, um, we, we're all familiar with, right? It, it has lots of three, four principles applied to a more uh, four-man front, kind of that two, four, five kind of structure and alignment. Um, but it's, it's how he uses the different pieces on his roster to kind of move them around and, and get them into great positions to generate pressure without um, kind of getting too aggressive, right? So he'll mix in a lot of zone pressure looks. He'll mix in a lot of simulated pressure. He'll use kind of uh, post-snap read pressure, kind of like a green dog blitz where, okay, you know, it's a running back staying in. The, you know, the pass protect, okay, linebacker who is supposed to cover that guy, you know, let's let's throw you into the action, try and get to the pressure on the quarterback. It, it, it's going to be a very, uh, very important kind of uh, side kind of uh, chess match there between Grubb and Huff kind of formulating that protection plan against what Coach K uh, th throws at us. Um, if, if we can keep the pocket clean, if we can keep Michael Penix, uh, you know, free from the pass rush and give him time to, to get through his progressions. I think we will score points. Um, we, have, we have a solid group of skill position players that even though that Texas is very talented, I think we'll still be able to score points as, as long as yeah, the protection holds up. Yeah, that, that sounds like good analysis. I, and I do, I have pretty, I'm pretty faithful in this offense. I think it will be pretty successful this game and we'll see how Quinn Ewers plays. If he's uh, efficient with his passing, he's had some games where he's been kind of all over the place and he's had some games where he's been really dialed in and that may be the thing that swings it and the lack of that running support. We'll see how well they, as they go further down the depth chart, how well they're able to run the ball. But if UW can hold Texas to something below 30 points, I think it, we have a pretty good chance of winning that game. And, and I think that those odds are much better without the running backs in the lineup. 
Well, let's finish up our conversation there. Before we go, let's get into uh, any recommendations or plugs we have before signing off. Uh, Coach, anything while you're on vacation, been taking up your time, um, helping you relax uh, on the entertainment side? Uh, well, the challenge for me here is that it's, uh, I'm, I'm in Hawaii, allegedly on vacation for two weeks, but I'm really working for this first week here. I will recommend to everybody out there, if you're going to take a vacation, just take vacation if you can. It's not productive <laughs> at all for your, for your actual job to, to try and be productive while you're away, uh, you know, being tempted by, oh, yeah, tropical weather, beaches, you know, five minutes away. <laughs> just, uh, just take your time off, unplug, spend time with your family and friends, especially during the holidays. Um, you'll, you'll be much better off for it. Yeah, that's well said. I, I, it is tempting to extend the trip by um, trying to spend some time working while you're on vacation, but you're not going to probably get much work done, and it's probably worth taking the extra vacation if you can swing it. Um, I don't have anything too exciting. I've been rewatching Arrested Development. I love this show. I haven't watched it in quite a few years, but um, the first three seasons are hilarious, and this time around, I'm finding that uh, the Job character is, I'm realizing how many of my favorite moments and lines in the show come from him. Um, particularly the episode where he's stealing his dad's suits and keeps saying, says the guy in the $6,500 pants, come on. Funny every time. Uh, anyway, let's uh, wrap it up. Any final thoughts from you, coach? Uh, nope. I'm excited to see uh, this Alamobile matchup. Um, it's good to kind of have most of the kind of recruiting drama and excitement kind of behind us now. And um, I'm looking forward to, to getting some, some football uh, here in a few short, few short days. Sounds great. We are in the midst of bowl season. So happy holidays to everybody. Enjoy watching the bowl games. Hopefully we'll hear from Cody Pickett coming up sometime soon. Uh, but in the meantime, thanks for listening and go dogs. Happy holidays and go dogs.